Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22, it says, At that time the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The reason why he said that they were not of his sheep is because he was there to reach out to a specific group of people. He was there to reach out to people who knew and understood that they had absolutely no hope whatsoever of ever seeing God or having a place in the kingdom of heaven outside of his grace and mercy. The Pharisees believed that they would have a place in the kingdom of heaven because they were first born Jewish and that they would also have a place in the kingdom of heaven because they had found a way to live in complete obedience to the Mosaic law. Therefore, they had no need for mercy. They had no need for grace because they had accomplished living a sinless life. And because of this accomplishment, they would have no need for what the Lord Jesus came to offer as the Messiah. The Messiah, the Savior, came to provide for the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of the Holy Spirit. But if a person believed that they had no need for the forgiveness of sins because they didn't have any sin that needed to be forgiven, then they would have no need for the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. They would have no need to believe in him as the Messiah because what he was offering was not something that they felt that they had a need for. And so they were not willing to believe that he is the Messiah. And so in verse 26, he said, But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. He's saying you do not believe because you are not a person who believes that you have a need for what I have to offer. Continuing in verse 27, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Why would they pick up stones to stone him? Because he claimed that he and the Father were one. He claimed effectively, using an idiomatic expression that the Pharisees would understand very well, he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be equal with God. That's what he was claiming. And the people understood that very clearly. And so they picked up stones to stone him because they felt that he was violating the Mosaic law. Now, if he was not God, then, in effect, he would be violating the Mosaic law. If it wasn't true, 
then he would be violating the law. In many cases, people look at the third commandment in this context where the Lord said that you shall not take my name in vain. And the reason why people believe that is because they believe that if a person uses the name of God inappropriately, then in that way they are taking his name in vain. But in reality, what that commandment actually refers to is taking the name of the Lord your God upon yourself for no reason or for no purpose or for no effect. It is the act of considering yourself to be one of his people, and yet you do not live as though you are one of his people. You are taking his name upon yourself in vain. I believe that that is what that commandment is referring to. Instead, I believe that this is a violation or could be a violation of the first commandment. Of course, if Jesus was not God, it would be. The commandment says that you shall not have any gods before me. And if Jesus is claiming to be God and he is not God, then he is claiming that they should have him as a God before the true and living God. That would definitely be a violation of the first commandment, not really a violation of the third commandment. I believe that this is what they were thinking when they picked up stones to stone him. Now, please understand that the reason why they picked up stones to stone him was because he was committing blasphemy in that context. He was claiming to be equal with God. This is described in verse 33, that the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself out to be God. And so please understand that there's no confusion there between the Lord Jesus and the people with regards to what he said and what he meant by what he said. There is no confusion between them. They believed that he was claiming to be God. That's what he was claiming. Continuing again, beginning in verse 31, again, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore they were again seeking to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. Again, in verse 36, he said, I am the Son of God. Now, to say that he is the Son of God is not to try and give further clarification because there was a miscommunication or a misunderstanding between the two. In our culture, we would look at this and say, well, in one sense, he's saying that he and the Father are one and that he is the Son of God. From our perspective, we would generally look at these expressions and say that he is not really claiming to be God but that they misunderstood what he was saying. But that is totally inappropriate because they looked at these phrases, these idiomatic expressions, very differently than we look at these expressions. And the Lord Jesus was not speaking to us. He was speaking to them. Their reaction was perfectly appropriate according to their beliefs, according to their understanding. Their reaction to what he was saying because of the foundation that they had in the scriptures 
would lead them to understand precisely what he is saying, that is, that he is not just the Messiah, but he is the living God manifested in the flesh. There definitely was no confusion between Jesus and the people. However, what is very interesting is that there is the appearance that he's giving a defense. In verse 34, Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, You are gods. And there's a question mark in this translation. In that sense, the question appears to be a defense to their accusation. However, that certainly is not what he is intending to say. He is not giving a defense. He's giving an accusation against them. He's not defending himself, but instead he's giving an accusation against them. He is accusing them of violating the law. He is accusing them of committing sin. It would be best understood in the tone of, Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said, you are God's? In that tone, it's not given as a question or as a defense. It's given as a statement. It's given as a reminder. It's given as a reminder of what? Well, it's given as a reminder of what the entire psalm said that he is quoting. That's what he's doing. He's quoting a psalm, a phrase in the psalm. However, there's a lot more to this psalm than just a simple statement like this. And this is important to understand because if you don't understand that he's quoting a part of a psalm in order to refer to the entire context of the psalm and what the intent of the psalm was, then it's very easy to come to some very bizarre conclusions. For example, it's very easy to assume that Jesus is saying, you're all confused about all things. For me to claim that I'm a god is no big deal because you're gods too. Now, that's definitely not what he was saying. But there are some people who I personally have encountered throughout my life, who believe that that's what he was saying, that our problem is that we do not recognize the godhood that we have, which I think is totally insane, of course. However, there are many people that take this verse and run with it in that way, and they believe that that's what he was intending to say. But I believe that the reason why they believe that is because they do not take the time to read the psalm that he was quoting, because if they did, they would understand exactly what he was intending to say and what the people heard him say. The psalm that he's quoting is Psalm 82, and I'm going to read that in just a moment. But in order to better appreciate this psalm, I'd like to take a moment to focus on the emphasis that he places in this section on his works. The emphasis on his works, that his works testify of himself. For example, in verse 25, he said, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. And again in verse 32, Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? And then again in verse 37, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me, but if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father." He places great emphasis on his works as being his credentials that they should be looking at to evaluate him and determine whether or not he's telling the truth, whether or not they should believe him. If he's telling the truth, they should certainly believe him because we all want to believe what's true, or at least you would think that we would deliberately choose to believe those things that are true instead of deliberately choosing to believe those things that are not true. But again, the importance is recognizing that he's referring to his works. That's what he's referring to. 
and that his works were just, they were righteous, that the Lord, his God, that their God, had given him authority and responsibility, and that he used his authority correctly by fulfilling the responsibilities that God gave him to fulfill. This is very important to understand, that he was performing works that the Lord his God had given him, and he was given the authority to perform these works, he was given the responsibility to fulfill the works, and he fulfilled his responsibility in accordance with the authority that he had been given. This is really important to understand before I read through Psalm 82. And again, this is not to say that he's not God by saying that God gave him the authority and the responsibility. You need to understand that the Lord Jesus was God. However, he came here to earth to live as a man, not as a God. He was here to live as a man. And I referred to this subject in the series that I did on the Trinity. And so I would like to refer you to that series if you'd like more information on this subject from that perspective. For now, however, I'd like to focus on the importance of recognizing that he was given authority and responsibility. He fulfilled that, and yet we know that they were given authority as well and responsibility, and they were not fulfilling their responsibility in accordance with their authority. They had been given the authority over the people from a religious perspective. They were given authority by being given the Mosaic Law, They were given authority by the giving of the law that they were to go out and teach to the people, and yet they were not fulfilling their responsibility by fully teaching the law to the extent that it needed to be taught. They believed that they had found a way to live in obedience to the law through a lifestyle that they had developed over a period of time. They believed that they had found a way to live in obedience to the Mosaic law. However, There is truly no way that anyone can live in complete, full, absolute obedience to the Mosaic Law. And so while they believed that they were successful, they were not. They were deceiving themselves because the law required much more than just their lifestyle that they had come up with. Now, while their lifestyle was a great attempt, and while they were still not obedient, that doesn't mean that the solution is to make adjustments in their lifestyle and so that they would be obedient. That still wouldn't work either, because the law was given to show us that we could not be obedient. The Mosaic law was given by our God to show us, to demonstrate to us, that there is absolutely no way that we can obtain our right standing with him by our repentance and obedience. That's why it was given. It was given to show us the impossibility of living a life of repentance and obedience to the satisfaction of our God to the satisfaction of what the law would require. And so that would, of course, lead us to the point of desperation where we would recognize that our only hope would be the grace and mercy of our God. Then, of course, we would be ready to receive the Messiah for what he came to give, and that is the grace and mercy of God. That's what the law was for. It was to lead a person to the Messiah, but they were failing They were failing in the works of the law. They were failing in their responsibilities because they were not teaching the law to the extent that they should have been teaching it. They should have been teaching the law to the point where people would finally throw up their hands in desperation and say that there was no way that they could possibly obey because that's what the law was given for. The Lord Jesus, on the other hand, he did teach the law as it should have been taught. 
The Sermon on the Mount is a wonderful example, and I would like to encourage you to listen to the programs that I've done on the Sermon on the Mount. In those programs, I explain in detail what the Lord Jesus was truly saying, why he was saying it, the purpose of it, and that was to lead a person to the point of absolute despair, because there was no way that anyone could live up to the standards that he proclaimed. He did fulfill his responsibility that was given to him by the Lord by teaching the law as it should have been taught. So understanding this background, I believe at this time you can better appreciate Psalm 82, which is what the Lord Jesus is quoting. In Psalm 82, beginning in verse 1, it says, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possess all the nations." This is what the Lord Jesus is quoting. He's quoting verse 6, that is Psalm 82, verse 6, when he said, You are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men, and fall like any one of the princes. He was not saying that they were gods, and that they just simply needed to be reminded of that fact, and so that they could live out their godhood. He said, You are gods, in the sense that you are given authority, You had been given authority, and you had been given responsibility. What was the authority? It was the authority to rule. It was the authority to judge. It was the authority to vindicate. But you did not fulfill your responsibilities when the situations presented themselves for you to do that. Therefore, you failed. You sinned. That's why he says, Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. So when the Lord Jesus quoted this, he said, Look, I have fulfilled my responsibilities according to the authority that has been given to me. Therefore, I am vindicated, and it just so happens that I am the living God manifested in the flesh. Because I have obeyed to the fullest extent of the expectations and the requirements that were presented before me. You, however, have failed. Your works do testify of yourself. Your works testify that you are a failure. Your works testify that you are not judging justly. Your works demonstrate that you are showing partiality to the wicked, that you are not vindicating the weak and the fatherless, that you are not doing justice to the afflicted and the destitute. You had been given authority to do so. You have been given responsibilities as these situations were brought to you, and yet you have failed. Therefore, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. In other words, you have sinned. You have actually sinned, and I have not. My works testify of me. Your works testify of you. That's what he's saying. He's giving an accusation against them in light of the accusation that they present to him. And he uses Psalm 82 to do it. Now, concerning what the Lord Jesus said about the works that he had performed and how his works testify of him as being the Messiah, 
When speaking to the Pharisees in this context, they certainly would not have argued that there were works that Jesus had performed that demonstrated that he was the Messiah. Of course, according to their own theology, according to their own beliefs, there were miracles that he performed that only the Messiah would do. They believed that in order to determine if a person was the Messiah or not, there were specific miracles that they expected him to perform. One miracle, for example, was the healing of the Jewish leper. This was described in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, where he healed a leper. This had never occurred in the nation of Israel, in the history of the nation of Israel. At no time was a Jewish person healed of their leprosy. They believed that the only way that a person could be healed of their leprosy, if they were Jewish, is if the Messiah would heal them. That was a belief of the Pharisees, and that was a work that he had performed. And as a result of that, if you continue to read in this example in Luke chapter 5 down to verse 17, it says, One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. People were from everywhere. And, of course, I have done an official program on this subject of the healing of the Jewish leper, and so I'm not going to get into this subject in this broadcast. I'm only mentioning it as an example that he performed works. They certainly recognized that he had performed works. There was plenty of evidence to show that he was the Messiah according to their own beliefs. But that wasn't the whole story. That wasn't the real problem. The problem was not these works. The problem was the other works that he was performing. It was the other works that he was doing. That was the problem. For example, if you continue to read in the Gospel of Luke to chapter 6, in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? In this example, he was performing a work that they believed was in violation of the Sabbath law. And, of course, I explained this in more detail in the series that I did on the Sabbath law. But just briefly, I'll mention that this was an example that the Pharisees would refer to to say that Jesus was not obedient, that he was not performing the works of righteousness, but instead he was actually committing sin. And so the conflict was not really the works that Jesus was doing, were there enough works to testify that Jesus is who he claims? The problem is the rest of the works. It's all the works. It's the other works that he was performing. And so Jesus would say things like, believe in me because of the works that I do. And they would say, well, sure, if there weren't all of these other works that you have done that we believe are in violation of the law. And so it depended on a person's perspective. Some of the Pharisees were able to get past that. Others were not. Some believed in the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, but others did not. Continuing in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, it says, On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, so that they might find reason to accuse him. Why are they looking for a reason to accuse him? They're looking for a reason to accuse him because he was walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath day. He was already violating their law. They had already disqualified him in their hearts as the Messiah because he 
walk through the grain field on the Sabbath day. And so this circumstance of him healing this man who had a withered hand on the Sabbath day was just a nail in the coffin. That's all it was to use that expression. And so again, it was not a matter of the works that Jesus performed. It was a matter of all the works that Jesus performed and that there were some works that the Pharisees believed disqualified him as the Messiah instead of giving evidence that he is the Messiah. And so I sincerely believe that this is what the Lord Jesus was referring to when he spoke to the Pharisees and quoted the psalm, Psalm 82, with respect to, you are gods, that it was not an attempt to try to get them to believe that they were little gods or something, but instead it was used in order to address this issue of works and to demonstrate to them that they were not as holy as they thought they were. And so as a result, they would have a need for the mercy of God, for the grace of God, and that was what he was there to provide. A good follow-up to this radio program would definitely be the program that I did on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, especially because the Jews accused him of committing blasphemy, and in accusing him of committing blasphemy, the people gave us some insights with regards to how they define blasphemy. And so if you were to take this definition that has been given to us in this passage in the scriptures, and then go back to Matthew chapter 12, when the Lord Jesus tells the Pharisees that all sins will be forgiven of them except for the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This statement that Jesus gave has been an opportunity for a great deal of confusion and a great deal of debate and a lot of uncertainty as well with regards to how a person can be saved or if they can lose their salvation or if they can never be saved because of something that they do, I believe that this would be a good opportunity for you to listen to that program and gain some greater insights with regards to that subject, especially as it relates to what the Lord Jesus is talking about here at this time in his ministry as well. Understanding the historical context of things and understanding the beliefs of the people at the time that the Lord Jesus was speaking to them is very important. I believe it's vital In fact, in order to fully appreciate the passages that we have before us, these passages especially, because if we don't, then it's very easy for us to come to some very bizarre conclusions. Or in general, what people do is they just simply say that this is a hard passage to understand and then continue to move forward in the scriptures and go to the next subject, which I believe is perfectly acceptable. I just don't believe that it's necessary in all circumstances. I believe that if we take a look at the beliefs of the people at that time and the issues that they were struggling with and the real issues that they had with the Lord Jesus and his ministry, that we can gain some great insights with regards to the scriptures and have a greater appreciation for how the Lord Jesus provided us with the salvation that we now have and get to enjoy. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,